Centuries ago, the prophet Jeremiah looked at the condition of the people of God and of the world around him, and his heart was grieved and broken. He wanted to give up, he wanted to quit. He just wanted to, just to say to himself, there's no hope, but there was something inside of him. He called it a fire shut up in his bones, and that fire caused him to stand up and preach the gospel, to preach it with truth. And we are calling on pastors today to be united for spiritual awakening and revival and a move of God across our land today. That's why World Challenge, myself and others are doing these pastors' conferences, two national pastors' conferences next year, to call pastors to put that fire back in their soul, that fresh wind, that fresh fire, that fresh passion. We'll be in San Diego in February and in New York City at Times Square Church. My dear friends, Pastor Carter Conlon, Pastor Tim Delina, Claude Oud, Ron Brown, R.T. Kendall, John Bailey, and many others will be teaching, preaching with great worship leaders. So join us in February or in August, San Diego, New York. Look at his infinite value. Look at his supreme worth. And then the question won't become, how little should I embrace fidelity to Christ? The question will become, because he's worth so much, how can I enjoy more of his fullness, no matter the cost? Welcome to the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. So glad you're with us today. We're continuing our series on fire in our bones. We want to see that passion for Jesus. We want to see our hearts stirred. We want to see not just emotionally or intellectually, but just a, a spirit passion grow within us. And that's what these podcasts are designed for. And today's podcast, I believe, is going to be spot on to accomplish the purpose for which these podcasts serve, to see the exaltation, the supremacy, the preeminence of Christ exalted, looking unto Jesus so that your heart is changed. We have in this, with us today Pastor Jordan Thomas. I heard him do an interview and listen to some of his sermons, and I just found a man of a different sort, not the pop psychologist in the pulpit, not the TED Talk um, pursuer, not the, the, the moralist, not the emotionalist, but someone who truly knows the Word, knows how to proclaim it, and, uh, but not just knows the Word, but, but you'll, you'll see in this interview that a man who knows Jesus. So I, I really trust that you'll, you'll catch on to these next two episodes. We're going to have two 30-minute sessions with, with Pastor Jordan, and uh, I know you'll be blessed. God bless you as you listen. Pastor Jordan Thomas, thank you for joining us today. Uh, your pastor, is it called Grace Church, Grace Community Church? Yep, Grace Church, Memphis. Grace Church, Grace Church, Memphis. Uh, and uh, I heard you do an interview, and I've listened to your sermons on the book of Hebrews. And I wanted to get you on our podcast today because it it so moved my heart. It just it just gave me that sense of, uh, I want to exalt Christ more. Uh, this, this is the Christ I want to know. I, I don't want to know him in pettiness or smallness or self-help TED Talk type, you know, messaging. Uh, I, I want to know him in depth. And, and uh, I thank God for your heart, man, because I, you know, you, uh, you can just tell um, when somebody has that. I'm not trying to pump you up or boast, boast, uh, you know, have you boast about you. But at the same time, I just want you to know I have wanted you to be on our podcast because of that. So, um, so you spent, uh, how many years were you uh, t- teaching on the book of Hebrews, and because I, I want to concentrate on the book of Hebrews to some degree today. Yeah, well, the legend grows a little bit, but the, the truth is we preached through Hebrews for seven years at our church. We did take some breaks in between there, but uh, depending on who you talk to, 
uh, some people think we preached through it for, you know, kind of wilderness wandering 40 years. And, and some people think it wasn't long enough. But no, seven years uh, in Hebrews with a couple of breaks scattered throughout there. Wow. Uh, that's that's wonderful. Like I said, I listened to some of those. And I think the thing that touched my heart was in every teaching that you did, the, there was that exaltation of Christ and the preeminence came came out of that. Tell me what would you say was the what stirred your heart to spend seven years with your church on the book of Hebrews? Uh, was there did you just decide like let's try Hebrews and then you figured it out later, or was there something stirring in your heart in advance that you wanted to see happen? Uh, yes and yes. So okay. Quick backstory is shortly after I was converted as a freshman in college, a dear friend gave me a big book by an old dead guy. I affectionately refer to them as old dead guys, Isaac Ambrose. The, the, the big thick book by Ambrose is called Looking Unto Jesus. And he goes from eternity, eternity past to eternity future. And he just shows the greatness and glory of Christ. And, you know, before creation, in creation, as creator, and just kind of moves through the old covenant and then into the new covenant. And then into eternity future, my heart was just raptured over and over um, as I saw Ambrose talk about a Jesus that he obviously knew, loved, walked with, adored. And, um, you know, I found myself so convicted. So fast forward, our church gave me a sabbatical uh, after seven years of the work here. And for two months, I just thought I'm going to read Hebrews every morning and every evening. I'll read it out loud. And um, this this has also become a, the whole the whole book. Yeah, I'll just read it. Read the whole book, thirteen chapters, twice a day. You know, read it out loud, morning, evening, kind of conversational pace. And um, so now, again, the legend's grown a little bit, but I now say to people that I accidentally memorized the Book of Hebrews um, because I didn't set out to memorize it. But if you you know if you read the same thing every day, twice a day for six seven weeks, you start to fill in the gaps. And um, I started to see by the Spirit's help through Hebrews, what you described, I like the way you put it, the supremacy of Christ, his exaltedness. And I was just seeing, you know, Ambrose didn't come up with this. You know, it's a very radically yeah. biblical <laughs> idea. And my heart was taken away. And, um, you know, just to see him that way. So we didn't set out to preach seven years, back to your question. We just set out to show the magnificence of Christ as best we could through the pages of Hebrews and um, yeah, I remember right now so much is coming back to my heart, but I'll just give you an example of why we went so slowly. There's a little phrase in chapter two, and it says, bringing many sons to glory. Well, that's just a little parenthetical phrase. That's not really the main point, but I'm thinking, how can you skip that? <laughs> you know? right, He's taking us away. Yeah, yeah. Why? Who's doing this work? What's the end goal? And so, you know, we just tried to double click on every one of those little phrases as best we could. And I'm embarrassed at how shallow we dug the plow, but I'm thankful for what the Lord enabled us to see and what he did in my heart for sure. Wow. What would be the primary thing he did in your heart? Hmm. Can I give a twofold response? Yes, please. Anything you got. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'd say primary is that sweet twin grace of conviction and exhilaration. Um, I was 
mesmerized by Christ over and over and over again. That's the exhilaration. But I felt like the people in chapter five, where the author writes concerning him, Jesus, we have much more to say, but (laughs) you've become dull of hearing. And I'm thinking, man, if he had more to say, I wonder what he would have added, you know, if they would have been able to hear. So I just felt like my heart was uh, grasping to try to keep up with the vision of Christ that told out in the book. So exhilarated and convicted because like us all, my sanctification is at best a snail's pace and I'm embarrassed at how slow I grow, but thankful for the the vistas of the grandeur of Christ that we're able to see. Uh, and I just want to add to, you don't need special powers of interpretation to figure this out. I mean, it's black ink on white paper. We need spirit illumination. Absolutely. But he's the radiance of the glory of God. Just sit there for a yeah. minute and, right. you know, until your heart skips a beat. So, hmm. yeah, conviction and exhilaration, that would be the, the biggest takeaway, all focused on Christ. That's a great combination to have. So you don't walk away with one without the other, because the book certainly, and the the whole whole gospel is you know those two things encapsulated to some degree. If you, if you have the exaltation without the conviction, you might miss something, and vice versa. So I'm, I'm glad you did that, and you and you would say you saw not only uh, this transformation in your heart of these two things, and probably more as well. But over the years of preaching that to your church, were you frustrated because you're like I'm getting this, but I'm having a hard time. Uh, sometimes when I'm preaching, I, I feel that. I think it was that Scottish preacher who said, you know, like preaching is like you go out to the ocean and you get this revelation and then you bring a cup back to your church and you pour it out. Um, that did, did you feel that to a degree or, or did you feel like your church really just like, man, I got this. I'm, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm tracking with you right away. Well, yeah, that's a Rutherford illustration. I've used it. Rutherford, I've worn it out. okay. Yeah, I've worn it out so many times. So maybe I heard you say, say it. Maybe that's where I got it from. <laughs> I can't take credit, man. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, yeah, so I would say Grace Church is this ferociously like sharks to blood in the water, spirit filled congregation of people who just suck it out of me. I, I wish I could give them more. Um, it's pretty common for most of our people to be even trying to prepare their heart, you know, to warm the coals in the furnace before they come. So they're caught ablaze quickly. So we give out the sermon text in advance and encourage households to read through it, meditate on it, however they want to do that. Most people do that. Um, I'll also add that as I preach through, it's like, it's anytime the Lord shows any of his children, something precious about Christ, there's no way to articulate what you wish you could say. It's just, you know, the spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. That's in the troubled times. But I think in the blissful times, the preacher's tongue just stammers to try to say what is so powerfully being revealed to us, uh, you know, behind the, behind the closet door in secret. I'm glad your church has that. That's, that's, I'd love to see that happen more in churches across the country and around the world. Uh, before we go into, too much into 
Hebrews. I want to ask you one more personal question, and this is a tough one. You're not going. You're probably not going to want to answer this because it's going to require like for you to tell us something about yourself. A lot of pastors and preachers are very humble men in a good way, but you, um, when I hear you speak about Jesus, I, I kind of get this. Um, you know the, the 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 two spies. They they were like they were they were of a different spirit, right? Uh, or there's another scripture says a man of another sort. Okay, you're not going to want to hear me say that probably, but you you seem to me when I hear you preach, and I don't know you, we've never met before, you seem to be a man of another sort. And if I have any gift at all, it's it's a hunger for Jesus. And when I hear somebody talking about Jesus, I go like, oh God, I want what He has. Hmm. Can you help help me and our listeners? I don't want to say secrets or things like that, but what is it, you know, if you were not to boast, but just say, if there's anything about me that can, to some degree, communicate Christ in a way that moves people's hearts, what is it about you? Um, is that question fair or does that make sense? I don't even know if I'm making any sense or not. It's encouraging to hear you say you have known me for a grand total of about two minutes. So, uh, you know, I'll take <laughs> I'll take it for what it's worth. Um, well, it's sermons it, I've heard and other podcasts yeah. you've done. That's where I, where I got that from. Yeah, yeah, it, it is encouraging. This is what I want to say to you. You said, can I help you? So I don't know who your audience is, so I'll just speak to you as my brother. I'm encouraged when you say, uh, you know, if you've got one gift, it's a it's a love for Christ. It's a it's a desire to know him more deeply, however you put it. And when somebody stokes that fire, you appreciate that. So I'm just going to yeah. speak to you personally, and I'm going to say, Brother, when the second person of the triune God stepped out of eternity to be mutilated for your redemption as a display of his glory, but also his grace, so that you forever, John 17, 24, can see the glory of God in the face of Christ. If that doesn't light your fire, I don't know what will. <laughs> so I'll just say, you know, my heart is very slow starting. I'm not on top of Mount Carmel with Elijah every day. Fire's not falling all the time. Uh -huh. But when the clouds break, when the spirit illumines the word, when you do get to see, not a Gnostic secret, you know, only for a select few view of Christ, but just right in the word, illumined by the spirit and your heart is stirred. Um, I would say here's the secret sauce of what I think you were trying to describe and encourage me mm -hmm. with, which, which I receive as encouraging. Here's the secret sauce. It's an open secret. Hebrews tells us, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's it. If you look at him and if you see God's glory in his face, the answer to your question will be beyond even the way you were trying to trying to pose it. Yeah. And and here's the flip side of that. What does God say is the reason people do not see the glory of God mm -hmm. in the face of Christ? Second Corinthians four, you know the answer. Satan has blinded their mind. So what yeah. is satanic deception? What's what's Satan's number one agenda? To prevent us from seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. So we need brothers and sisters. We need a local church. We need God's word. We need a heart full of prayer. Yeah. But the open secret is Look at the Jesus who dismounted the throne of heaven to become our Redeemer. And if, again, that doesn't start your heart, 
I have zero help for you because that's the only fountain I know. <laughs> you know that's, that's where we have to plunge our soul over and over. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. There's, there is a fountain and it's filled, you know, the old Amen. song says, and uh, we, we can drink from that and that's a... Uh, that does do that, but uh, man, th- it, uh, so going into the, thank thanks for sharing your heart there. Uh, going into the book of Hebrews, what um, if you could give a paragraph or two about uh, the the primary meaning of and the primary purpose of Hebrews? What would you say that would be? Well, I love when the Bible says things like the main point of what has been said is this. You know, chapter eight yeah. says it that way, but chapter <laughs> one, chapter eight, chapter twelve, I think give those little summary paragraphs right at the beginning of the of the chapters, one, eight, twelve, and it's the supremacy of Christ. Mm. And I also believe Hebrews was written to one local church. Greet your elders, greet your leaders, you know. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There's a lot of that in Hebrews. So I think it's written to one local church. I also think it's one sermon. Mm. Chapter 13 says, bear with this brief word singular of exhortation, sermon. So I take it to mean New Testament preaching was about an hour long and drenched in the glory of Christ from the pages of the Old Testament. Wow. And Love that. So yeah, it was written to one church that was really suffering. Some of their friends had been put in prison. Those who visited the prisoners had their property plundered. They had not yet died, been martyred for their faith. We know that from chapter 12. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. So they haven't been killed yet. So the author says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's worth any and every cost. And they're Hebrews, right? So they're former uh Jews who are now completed Jews. They trusted in the Messiah that God sent, that he promised long ago. But I think they're being tempted to trade on the preeminence of Christ for kind of a half Christianity. Basically, follow Jesus enough to go to heaven and mitigate some of the suffering on earth. So the point of Hebrews uh, to your question is look at his infinite value. Look at his supreme worth. And then the question won't become, how little should I embrace fidelity to Christ? The question will become, because he's worth so much, how can I enjoy more of his fullness, no matter the cost? The So the Hebrews, the people that it was written to, they were suffering a small church in Rome. Is that correct? That's my guess. You know, the, the question is, which direction? Those from Italy greet you. So is it Paul, is it the, not Paul, the writer uh, from Italy writing or to Italy writing? But yeah, I, I, my guess, you know, my guess, flip a coin, I don't know, but I'd say probably a, probably a church in Rome. Yeah, in, in my mind, it, I always like to try to read scripture with some setting in mind. So I usually choose Rome Rome when I think about, you know, what was happening in, in, in this year or around that season, Yeah, how deep the suffering would have been for this little church and and so so he's he's speaking a lot of and I want to get into this a little bit later Christ is better than Christ is better than he's higher than different yeah. different better covenant yeah. but the, when I read Hebrews it seems to have like these two tracks going at the same time one is the exaltation and supremacy of Christ as we've been talking about and the other one is is the more confusing parts of about like having once tasted and then fallen away it's like a warning type thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and why do you think the writer 
chose to put those two things. They almost seem like two different books. Like I would have wrote, I, probably if I was writing this, I'd have written the encouragement one first, and then hey, or, or maybe vice versa, the warning, and then come back. And why do you think those are married together? Yeah, that's a good question. I, don't, I, I often talk to my Bible. Why do you say it like that? Why did you put it that way? You know, so I tell people, if you don't talk to your Bible, I don't know if you're reading it very carefully because we say at our church a lot, the best way to mess up what you think about God is to read your Bible. Um, so yeah, why are those two things, you know, the juxtaposition of these warnings and this great exalted vision of Christ, why are they kind of interwoven in the same book? And, you know, one takeaway that I think is common to church history's view of Hebrews would be, it's because there actually is great danger in defecting on Christ. Chapter two, for example, one of those warnings, there's several warning passages, begins with, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. How will we be saved if we neglect so great a salvation is, is kind of the way it concludes. So this imperceptible drift from being moored to Christ, like a boat to a dock. You can just fall asleep, and before you know it, you're halfway out to sea. You don't even know how you got there. So the warnings, in my estimation, are not because the author thinks they're unregenerate. It's because he knows that it's possible to be a flash in the pan, you know, to start well and, and flame out and prove that you're not the genuine article. So what purpose does a warning have for a true Christian if you, you know, believe in e eternal security? And I certainly do, the preservation of the saints. Um, it serves genuine Christians, I believe, to say, so help me, God, don't let me go that way. Mm. And for what it's worth, I think the most severe warning, you know, I don't know how to rank them. They're all pretty severe. But chapter 6 and chapter 10 are kind of tied for first on severity. The only time the word beloved is used in the whole book is right after the warning in chapter six, hmm. but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you yeah. and things that accompany salvation. So it's, it's like a scathing warning followed by the most precious word of affirmation. And the Lord often wounds so he can heal. And it seems like the warnings work that way. Um, yeah. Throughout the book, so more could be said. No, that's that you're saying it well. That um, him saying that at the end of that beloved, you know, we think better things of you, things concerning salvation. Mm -hmm. Seems to be saying the, these warnings are warnings. These things aren't aren't born of salvation. Like, is that correct? The, so you, you know, having once tasted, then falling away. He's he's saying later on, beloved. That that's not what salvation looks like. Salvation looks like. You've tasted and you keep tasting. You absolutely, you, you know, you 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 have the Holy Spirit and you keep having the Holy Spirit. So so it's it's uh, a yeah. it, 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 yeah that 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 always made sense to me. I I grew up in a, a more of an Armenian kind of um, church school of thought, uh, and then I became probably in the last twenty years or so uh, pretty close to a reformed. You know, I have problems okay. with a few well, of the little things. Going, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, but, uh, you know, so, so my history, when I read those warnings, you know, you, sometimes your history is slow to pull away from you. It really sounds to me like that guy was a Christian, you know, the Hebrew six person, and then he fell away. Yeah. So, so, so I, I get my, my confidence and my assurance of salvation and others 
when at the end of those warnings, he seems to say, yeah, but this is not who you are. You know, I, we think better things. We, we know better things of you. And so and then, then my, that, that brings me back. That takes me out of the fear-based performance, works-driven Okay, I might lose my salvation. If maybe I'm not tasting of the Holy Spirit enough. So, you know, let me go to another revival meeting. It keeps me away from having to do those things, and it keeps me rooted and tethered to God's mm-hmm. Word tells me that there's this security. And the warnings are exactly what you're saying. They're, 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 they're to keep me sharp. They're to keep me focused. They're, uh, you know, it's like a, yeah. you know, a sports analogy would be, a, you know, a, a coach knows his team is sharp and focused, but, you know, the quarterback throws a bad pass and, he starts kind of, you know, hey, you got to keep your eye on the game. You know, he's not saying you're going to fail at every pass or you you're not a, on the team anymore. He's just saying, hey guys, unless we, you know, keep this focus, we're not going to be all that we can be in in Christ. I, I think that's my take on it anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's very well said. And for your listeners, I'm sure you've thought about this as much as you just said about the passage. I'm sure I'm sure you've seen this, but even the pronouns, paying attention to those at the early part of chapter six, it's plural, uh, uh, sorry, first person plural, we, us, our, and then it goes to second, they, them, those. And then right there in that verse you mentioned about beloved, it goes, comes back to, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Hmm. So it's us, those, us, and just the structure of those pronouns, Can we unpl- can- uh, you know, I think lends itself to say, he's not talking about the same group of people. Okay. Yeah. Like the, I, I grew up in a tradition, or I, I would say I was reared in a tradition that was kind of atheological and would have would have proposed, at least insinuated, the potential to lose your salvation. Okay. And this would have been one of the hallmark texts. Exactly. And I think it's a very hard sell the more you look carefully at the passage, even, you know, the, I don't know how deep you want me to go, brother, but in chapter two, yeah, the, yeah. the he tasted death for everyone. Mm. You know, look at the verses right after it, and he gives like eight to ten qualifications of those for whom Jesus died. And if you're one of those, the son of Abraham, he doesn't give any help to angels, gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Who's that? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians, those who are of the faith of Abraham. Those are his true children, spiritual children. And Christ, the mighty Redeemer, has set his love on you. And, uh, you know, we say God saved you all by himself and he saved you all for himself. And he has no buyer's remorse. He's not sorry that he saved you. He's going to bring you safely home. And these warnings are actually part of God's great grace to enable the genuine Christian to persevere. Yeah. Um, what's what's the danger on the other side of the road? License and easy believism and, you know, living a life of debauchery and sin, presuming that we're a Christian because we did some kind of little religious routine. Mm-hmm. So these warnings serve to say, that's not the genuine article. The sincere believer is somebody who, you said it so well, continues to drink of the Spirit, continues to walk, you know, by grace. Yeah, that I grew up in New York and then uh, moved to Texas and started going to church down in Texas, and it was a very different culture. You know, like there's not a, there's not a lot of people in the Northeast that are going to church because it helps their business, or uh, you know they get connections with people. Where I went down to Texas, it seemed like 
you know, the, the I would get to know the families, and you know, the fathers would fall down drunk on weekend, and they'd be at church on Sunday. And I, and it began to, that 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 Hebrews passage began to make more sense when I lived in the Bible Belt, of of warning these people, you know, like you're coming to church and you're singing the songs and you're putting your money in the offering, uh, but then you you know you're you're getting these tastes, you're getting these little glimpses of it, you know, you're hearing the word, but you're not actually living it. So I could see the warning be for for me and 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 us as believers, you know, just run from that, uh, but also for the non-believer who's somewhat Christianized, so to speak, uh, in a religious culture that, but, but they're not, that warning could be like, I, uh, okay, I'm, I'm tasting all this stuff and getting these glimpses, but, uh, getting a bit of the word of God, but I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm hardening my heart by doing so. So I, I that for me, that's part of the, the glory of the warnings in, in this passage as well. I told you at the beginning of this podcast that I think your heart is going to be stirred, and I, I believe if there's any flickering flame in your heart or any smoldering ember in your heart, something like you heard just now uh, stokes that fire and, and builds that that uh, fire in our bones that we're talking about in these sessions. Uh, I want you to join us uh, for our next episode uh, as he unpacks this even more. Thanks again for joining us. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in the mission of World Challenge. Thank you for listening and supporting. World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Visit us online at worldchallenge.org.